Well, good morning, church. Let's stand together. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Come on, here we go. the God who was, we worship the God who is, we worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors, he parted the raging sea, my God, he holds a victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Oh, we shout out your praise. Come on, we sing. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung up on that cross and he rose up from that grave. My God still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. But we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Because we were the beggars. Now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. Now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Come on, we were, we were the beggars. Now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. Now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. There's joy. Sing it out. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We shout out your praise. Shout out your praise. 
Come on, somebody shout out his praise this morning. Do me a favor, turn to your neighbor and say, welcome to the house of the Lord. It's good to be here. Give somebody a high five if you want to. We're going to continue to worship. All throughout my history, your faithfulness has walked beside me. The winter storms have made way for spring. In every season, from where I'm standing, I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. All over my life. I see your promises. I see promises and fulfillment all over my life, all over my life. Help me remember when I'm weak. Well, fear may come, but fear will leave. You lead my heart. You lead my heart to victory. The evidence is endless. All my sin rolled away because of you, oh Jesus. Oh, I see the evidence of your goodness all over, all over my life, all over my life. Oh, your promises, I see. Promises and fulfillment all over my life. All of, come on, we see them all happening right now. I see the evidence of your goodness all over, all over my life. All over my life. For your promises, I see your promises and fulfillment.
Anybody believe that this morning? Spirit out this morning on your church, Lord, all over this place.
I feel right now that there's people that need that touch from God this morning. It's really easy, even us up here, to play church and go through life and do our daily routine. But I believe there's people in this church that are hungry for a touch from God this morning, for that holy anointing this song sings about, that fresh wind. Can we sing that? We need a fresh wind, the fragrance of heaven. Pour your spirit out. Or this morning, pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out. The holy anointing. A holy anointing. The power of your presence. The power of your presence. Pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out. We need a fresh wind. We need a fresh wind. The fragrance of heaven. Pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out. A holy anointing. The power of your presence. Pour your spirit out. 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 Spirit
are struggling to breathe spiritually. We feel like that, that the weight of the world is, is suffocating us. And a lot of times we try to, to mystify what when we start to talk about the, the Holy Spirit, we, we start to talk about that. People get a little nervous. But when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the, the word is, is, is pneuma. And it's literally just the breath of God. It's the breath of God. And you begin to think about him pouring his spirit out. What I picture in my mind is someone who's struggling to breathe. Someone who, who's just doing everything they can, but they feel like that they're suffocating. And all we're saying is, God, we need your breath. We sing a song that says, it's your breath in our lungs. God, we need your breath. My breath, I feel like that I'm going under. I feel like that I'm going to suffocate. God, I need you to pour your spirit. I need your breath. And if you're here this morning and life has got you down, if you're here this morning and you're feeling as if you're having a hard time to breathe, you need to make this your prayer. God, I need your spirit. God, I need your breath. God, I need your power in my life. I'm going to ask Rachel to sing that through just one more time before we go into the Word. But if you're here today and you feel the weight of the world on you, just ask God to pour His Spirit to give you His breath. And you'll be able to breathe freely. We need a fresh wind The fragrance of heaven Pour your Spirit out Spirit out, a holy anointing, the power of your presence, pour your spirit out, pour your spirit
thank you for your continual support and uh, your faithfulness to God. When uh, COVID hit and we were able to, to come back uh, to gathering together, and let me say it's so great to be able to gather together again. Uh, we quit passing the offering buckets uh, just for safety precautions. And uh, But you have been so faithful to, to give online or to give at the boxes at the back. And, and through your giving, God has been able to, to use us. And uh, we believe that, that he has so much more for us to do in this community. And, um, uh, you know, we'd only been in this building a, a, about a year when COVID hit. And uh, we had so many things that, that we wanted to be able to do, and, and uh, we just weren't able to do them. We were just getting our feet on the ground. And uh, it was just taking us that long just to, to realize that when we weren't on Central Avenue anymore and that we were here and, um, and really to make ourselves known in the community. So we're looking forward to this fall. We're looking forward to the kids getting back into school and for us to be able to, to just do ministry. And uh, the only way we can do that is through your faithful giving, and we thank you so much. Uh, today we're going to um, look at actually the same passage of Scripture that we looked at last week. How many people were here last week? How many people were at the beach last week? How many people were camping last week? Nobody? See, honey, not everybody camps. Every time we look on Facebook, somebody's camping, and she got this bright idea last night. She said, I want to go camping. And I said, like, you know, like in a tent? <laughs> so I made a deal with her. I said, if you can find somebody that will give us an RV, and uh, I could camp that way. Uh, but if I have to get in a tent out in the middle of nowhere, and you know what she said? She said, I think it would be so peaceful because there would be no cell phone service. And I was out right then. I was like, you're kidding me. Uh, how am I supposed to keep connected to the world? Um, but uh, last week we talked about Luke chapter 15. And um, I just want to lay some groundwork here. When we begin to look at Jesus and his ministry, we have to realize and understand that he came to pursue a relationship. His ministry, and, and, and when he walked on this earth, he was in pursuit of a relationship. And it's because of that pursuit that he was criticized the most. You see, we know that Jesus loves people. We understand that Jesus loves all people. We know that he loves broken people. We know that he loves us. But in Romans, we read that we've all sinned. And so what that means is that all of us have not lived up to the standard of perfection. Yet he still came for us. And when Jesus was here on earth, there were many instances that he was found in places. And he was found doing things that the establishment disagreed with. So many people just didn't get it. So many people were confused about his mission. They were confused about the, the way that he lived his life, the people that he hung out with. People just didn't understand what his message was. Now, it's, it's easy to, to read the Bible and think, well, man, those Pharisees and those Sadducees, they were, they were just so religious. 
Why couldn't they understand it? Why couldn't they get it? But if you really think about it, if you really wonder what it would have been like if we lived back then, would we have been some of the religious? I mean, when I think about the first miracle, Jesus turning water into wine, you know, I was raised that, that you would probably think, now, Jesus, is this really the first miracle that you wanted to do? Is this really how you want to come onto the scene? Or I think about in John chapter 4 when, when Jesus comes in contact with this woman at the well. This woman who, who had already been with five different men and who was now with the sixth man that wasn't her husband. And this woman was going to the well during the middle of the day so that she would not have to come in contact with anyone because she was so embarrassed about her life and about her story. And Jesus meets her there at that well all alone in the middle of the day for a purpose. And his purpose was simply to, to look at this woman and say, if you realize who you are speaking to, if you really realize that your real problem is that you're thirsty, not for this water. If you would understand that you have been with five men trying to fulfill your thirst, and now you're with the sixth one trying to satisfy your thirst. If you understood that what you really needed was me. What you really need is the living water so you would never thirst again. When we look at his ministry, we can easily understand that he came for relationship. He didn't care to be with the broken. He didn't care to be with the hurting. Why? Because he came for relationship. He came so that hearts could be transformed. Rabbi Zacharias made this statement. And it's so true. It says, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good, but he came to make dead people live. But these people just didn't understand why he truly came. So that brings us up and lays the groundwork to what's happening in Luke chapter 15. Some people have, have believed that Luke chapter 15 is basically Jesus' defense of his ministry. And he does this by telling three simple stories, what we know as parables. But basically it's just a story to get, get his point across. And last week we looked at the first parable. And the first parable in Luke 15 was about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. And he came home in the evening, and he started to count, and he realized that one was missing. And when he found out that the one sheep was missing, he contacted all his neighbors. He was so concerned about that one missing sheep. He was so concerned that he would stop at nothing until it was found. And when he finally finds the sheep, he doesn't scold it. He doesn't condemn it. But instead, he picks it up, he puts it on his shoulder, and he carries it back home. And when he arrives, he calls all the neighbors, the neighbors that he had been asking, have you seen this sheep? And he throws a party. And so in this story, Jesus is trying to convey to this crowd of people, this is how much my Father loves you. 
He's trying to convey that just like this shepherd was good, my father is good. He loves you so much that he goes on an all-out search for you. And in this parable, he's also given an example for us as followers of what we must do. We talked about being concerned about the one. We talked about being and understanding the power of just one. We said that God counts by one who never lost in the crowd. And today, I, to be honest, this is not what I had planned. But as I began to study, I just could not get away from Luke chapter 15. Because there's two more stories, two more parables that Jesus tells that I want to look at today. First, Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10 is the first story. So Jesus finishes the story about the good shepherd, and he says, okay, maybe that doesn't resonate with you. He says, let me tell it this way. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So Jesus transitions from the story about the shepherd to talking about a woman who's lost a coin. But once again, he's trying to make the point that lost people matter to God. Just as he did in the first parable, he's saying, listen, there is someone who has lost something that is of great importance to them. There's someone who has lost something that is theirs. Now, you think, it's just a coin. I mean, I lose coins all the time, right? You dig down in your couch cushion, you're going to find all kinds of coins. But if we read this story and, and we realize that one coin represented one day's wages. So now let's look at it in that manner. Let's say that you worked an entire day. And you've worked hard and your boss comes to you and he says, you've worked hard, here's your pay. And he pays you in cash. You're still supposed to turn that into the IRS, okay? That's between you and God and the IRS. But let's say he gives you cash and, and you take it and you put it in your pocket. Everybody likes payday, don't you? You're paid and you're thinking, man, I've got this money in my pocket and it's burning a hole. I'm going to go to the mall. I'm going to go find me a pair of hey dudes. And so you get there, you start looking, and you try all these shoes on, and you say, that's the pair, that's them right there. And you're feeling so good about yourself, and you take them, and you walk up to the register, and you dig into your pocket, and your money's not there. Anybody ever had that happen? You, you left your wallet at home, and, and you're looking, and you're like, where is it? And then you're looking in every pocket that you have, and you're thinking, you know, and, and you check them like two or three times like it's just going to magically appear. start checking everywhere, but it's not there. 
And so then you start running through your mind. What did I do with it? Where could it be? You rush out of the store and, and you're trying to retrace your steps. You're going to find that money. Why are you searching? Why are you searching? Because you've lost something that's valuable. You've lost something that meant something to you. You lost something that, that represented a day's worth of hard work. You're searching because you want those hey do's. And so Jesus begins to tell this story because he understands that this is an illustration that would resonate with the people that he was talking to, but it also would res resonate with us. Because he knows that even in 2021 that money makes the world go round. And he says, if you lost that, you would go searching for it. Now Jesus... He's not really talking about money. He's using it as an example. What he's really talking about, he's talking about people. Jesus is challenging us. He, he's trying to, to convict us. He, he's saying that we should have the same pursuit, the same heart, as we would if we were looking for a day's worth of wages. We should be willing to, to turn Ashland upside down looking for lost people. That's the point that Jesus is trying to make to this group of people. Why should we? Because we have to understand that people do not lose their value just because they are lost. People do not lose their value just because they're lost. Now, it's true that the problem is where we get our value from. There's times in our life, and you may be here today, and you may feel like that you have no value. And the reason that you feel that way is because that's what the world is telling you. The world is, is telling you that, that, that you're worthless, that you're a waste. The world is telling those people around you who are lost that they're worthless, that their life has no meaning. But the problem is, is we have to understand and realize that we cannot get our value from the world. Our value has to come from from God and from God's word. And what God says is, is he says something completely different. What God says is in Psalms chapter 139 that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. What God says in Matthew chapter 6 is that if God feeds the birds of the air, how much more important are you than them? In Luke chapter 12, he tells us that the hairs on our head are numbered. For some of us, it doesn't take God too long to do that. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, 
He tells us that we're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. What are you trying to say, Pastor? I'm trying to say that when you look at God's word, you can quickly understand and realize that you are valuable. You're valuable. Not just you, but the lost are valuable. We have to realize that just because people are lost doesn't mean that they've lost their value in God's sight. They are worth Jesus to God. Jesus died because they are valuable to him. But God dictates that value. So this woman, she flips the house upside down looking for that coin. Anybody ever lost something? Somebody said every day. So one day last week, we had temporary tags on my wife's vehicle, and it, they ran out on the 27th of July. Or, um, I'm sorry, the 27th of June. I tried to tell her it was July, but. And so one day last week, I knew that I was about one day away from sleeping on the couch if I didn't get this taken care of. So I went and I got them and, and got the, had to get new, a license plate and everything. And, and I got it and I brought it home and I put it on the table. She was working and I thought, you know what, I'm going to get some brownie points today. Not only am I going to get her license taken care of, but I'm going to straighten up. Now, men, you know how it is when you straighten up. When you're trying to clean up, you're going to take things and just shove them anywhere you can so that your wife can't see them, but you didn't really have to put too much effort into it. So these license and everything were laying on the, on the table, and, and I thought, I'm going to clean this table off. So I start picking it up. And so she comes home, I'm like, honey, I got, I got your license today. Look, I even straightened up. She said, I need to put them on my vehicle. I said, okay, I'll do it. If I could just remember what I did with them. And so I go upstairs looking for this. You know, it's a license plate, you know? I mean, it's, how can you lose something that big? I mean, it's metal. Couldn't find it. I couldn't find the registration. I couldn't find the mail. And I'm looking for this thing, and, and I'm turning the house upside down, and, and, and I can't find it. And a friend was there, and he said, what are you looking for? I said, a license plate. He said, for real? How do you lose a license plate? And he left. And when he left, I was still looking for the license plate. And he sort of sarcastically said, well, if you find it, let me know. And I go out to my car, and I look. I don't see it. Come in, I go back out to my car and look again like it's just going to appear. I've about all but given up. I'm like, I wonder what you have to do if you lose a license plate. So I walk out to the garage, not even looking for it out there. And there it is. And just like that woman who found her lost coin, when she found it, she told the neighbors, as soon as I found it, I picked up my phone and said, I found it. I was so excited to be able to put that thing on the car. 
this woman, she flips her house upside down. She finds it. She throws a party. Why? Just because, just like we do when we find something that is valuable to us, we're excited. She, we want to celebrate. But here's something to consider. What if the coin that this woman lost would have never been found? What if it would have never been found? I mean, as long as the coin was lost, what good was it? I mean, it's there. It still has value, but it has no purpose. Because it's lost. The coin can only regain its value and its, pur um, its purpose when it's put into the hands of the woman. And once that coin that has value gets back into the hands of this woman, then it becomes useful. Once it's back into the hands of this woman, she can use it to throw the party. It can be used to serve its purpose. For which it was created. That coin wasn't created to be lost in the cushion. It wasn't created to be under the couch. It was created for a purpose. It was created to be used. And that's the way it is in our lives. We have value, but if we're lost, we have no purpose. We were created for a purpose. We were created for a reason. But we can only fulfill our purpose when we're in the hands of the Father. And the only way to be in the hands of the Father is to have a relationship with the Son. And so Jesus is saying, that's why I came. I came so that I could have a relationship with you, so that you could be in the hands of my Father, so that you can serve a purpose. You can have a reason. Jesus is saying, I didn't come to start a religion. I came to establish a relationship with broken, hurting, and lost people. In Luke chapter 15, he's saying, I am concerned about lost things because lost things still have value. I want to use you. But the only way I can use you is if you're in relationship with me. Jesus is all about relationships. So after he finishes this short parable that was only three verses, he transitions, and the rest of Luke chapter 15 is spent from verse 11 to verse 31, is dedicated to the final parable. Now this parable is, is something that, that we probably, if you were raised in church at all, we always kid about the flannel graph. You have probably seen the pig pen, and, and uh, these kids are looking at me like, what's a flannel graph? Google it. <laughs> we always talk about this as being the parable of the prodigal son. But as I was reading and studying this week, uh, one person pointed out that this is really not just about the son who left. But this story is really about two sons. Two sons who were equally lost. When we truly look at the story, it's about the son who left and about the son who stayed. And so Jesus transitions into this parable. 
And when he's doing this, he is looking at a crowd that is filled with two different kinds of people. On one side, he has the tax collectors and the prostitutes and, and the people that, that were deemed as sinners. And then on the other side, he had the religious right. He had all of those in front of him that loved telling these people over here how wrong they were. And so Jesus starts into this parable. And as he starts teaching and giving defense as to why he's doing what he's doing, what he's really trying to do is bring both crowds to the middle. He's trying to show them that he came for both of them. So when he starts, he starts out by looking at this crowd. And he says, let me tell you about this young son. This young son who, who comes to his dad and says, Dad, I want my inheritance right now. Now, the way that inheritance worked was, was that, that the longer that you wait, the more it grows. But the son was impatient. The son wanted immediate gratification over eternal satisfaction. Just the way that we are in our lives with sin. He wanted to indulge the flesh right now. And he had a father who was full of grace and full of mercy who gave the son what he asked for. Let me interject here that sometimes the worst thing that can happen to us in life is when you get what you asked for. Because sometimes we don't know what we're really asking for. But the father... Gives him his inheritance. The young son goes to a distant land and he, he spends all his inheritance on wild living. He finally gets to a point that he's lived it up and now he's broke. He's working for a, a farmer. He's in a pig's pen. He's to the point that he's looking at the pig's food and says, man, that looks good. Then the Bible says, Jesus, he came to his senses. He's at rock bottom. He doesn't feel like that he could get any lower. He comes to his senses and he says, I should go back to my dad. The servants in my dad's house are living better than I am. So Jesus says he gets up and he starts his long journey home. Have you ever done something that you regretted and you knew that you were going to have to face the person? And you were going to have to try to explain or apologize or repent for what you've done? And so when you do that, you begin to rehearse in your mind what you're going to say, right? Anybody else do that or is it just me? You're just trying to say, well, this is what I'm going to say. This is how I'm going to handle it. I can imagine that on this journey home, that's what's going through this son's mind. He's trying to, to get his speech down. Teenagers, when they first start driving and they have a curfew, and they don't make that curfew, you'll experience this. It's going to be, you know, the stoplight was just too long. So he's re rehearsing this, and he's, he's, he's working on his apology, and the Bible says that the father sees the son in the distance. You know what the good news is? 
the good news is, is that this shows us that the father was looking for his lost son. Just as the shepherd was looking for his lost sheep, just as the woman was looking for his lost coin, now Jesus is coming back and saying, okay, we went from a sheep to money, now I'm talking about So he's looking. And that lets us know that long before you came to church, long before you responded to an altar call, long before you repented, turned your way, God was looking for you. It lets us know that there's a father that saw you in the distance. There's a father that said, I love you and I have a plan for you and I came for you. Can I tell you that his love for us will always outweigh our faith in him? It always outweighs our faith in him. And so the father starts running toward the son. Now I can imagine that, that the son, he's looking down and, and he's probably walking slow. The Bible tells us that slow are the feet of repentance, but swift are the feet of grace. So he's probably walking slow and the father's running to him. And what repentance means is, is, is not a speech that he had been working on. It's not an apology that he was trying to get straight in his mind that he was going to say. Repentance is just simply turning toward the Father. And the good news is that the moment that you turn toward the Father, the Father's running towards you. He's going to embrace you. So the Son is there. The Father's running toward him. He wraps his arms around him. He starts to kiss him. He starts to hug him. The son, is, is he's been working so hard on this apology, on this story. He's trying to get it out. And, and I can imagine the father saying, son, it, that doesn't matter. It's in the past. It doesn't, it, I, I don't care. It's in the past. All that I care about is, is that you were lost and now you're found. And Jesus said that this dad, Calls out and he says, put sandals on his feet, put a robe on his back, put a ring on his finger, kill the fatted calf. We're going to celebrate. My boy who was lost is found. My boy who was gone is now home. When he came home, the father already had a plan. He had blessings stored up for him. He says, let's throw a party. Now, in verse 25, as he's preaching to this crowd of people, they are listening very intently. They're probably a little bit emotional because they are the ones, they're thinking, man, what kind of love is this? Who is this heavenly father that this man is telling us about? I have squandered everything God has given me. Are you telling me there's a second chance? Or are you telling me that I can come back into relationship? They're emotional because they can't believe his love. They can't believe his passion. And so as they're there and they're, they're weeping and, and Jesus feels as if he's made his point with them. In verse 25, the Bible says, Jesus says, meanwhile. So in this moment, he's made his point with this group of people. It says, meanwhile, and then Jesus turns his attention to the other crowd. 
the other crowd who are teachers of the law, the ones who know the scripture. Jesus says, as he begins to talk to them, he says, meanwhile, the older brother heard the music and dancing and he became angry. Something we need to understand about this brother, about this son. He may have been in the house the whole time, but he wasn't really in relationship with the dad. He may have been in the house, but he was really not in relationship with the father. Pastor, how do you know that? Because when you're in relationship with someone, you know what makes their heart beat. You know what they're all about. You understand what's going on in their mind. This son had been in the house, but he didn't understand why the father was doing what he was doing. If he would have had a relationship with the father, he would have understood his reaction. He would have knew why he was doing what he was doing, but he didn't. Jesus is looking at this crowd of people and he says, you may think you're in the house. You may think you understand, but you don't know my heart. So the older brother, he gets so mad. He's found out what all the commotion is about. Servant tells him, your dad's celebrating because your brother has returned. He's celebrating because what he thought was dead is now alive. So the other son is out there pouting and he's angry. The father comes out. Walks out there to the son and he starts to plead with him. What are you doing out here? What are you doing out here? Why don't you come inside and celebrate? Why don't you come into the party? Why don't you come inside of the house? Son says, No, I'm not going to do it. All these years I've been working for you, all these years I've followed the rules. You never even gave me a young goat. I've been here working. I've been here obeying. It's your other son that hasn't listened. Your other son is the sinner. What he didn't realize that he was just in as bad shape as the other son. And actually at this point he was worse off because he was still lost. Why was he lost? Because he didn't understand the heart of the father. The dad looks back at him and he says, yes, son, you've always been with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. Your brother was lost, but now he's found. And Jesus is telling from verse 25 to verse 31, he's addressing this crowd of people. He's trying to, to give them a picture of his why. He's trying to, to help them understand that they are just as lost as this crowd of people. He's trying to, to, to bring them to the middle. He's trying to, to give them a picture of his why. He's saying, listen, I'm not just someone who came for those who commit the crime. I came for everyone who was lost. 
king for those who judge his life. I have grace. I came for everyone. I came for relationship. I came so that you could be changed on the inside. I, I came so that, so that we could be close. You can never do enough good stuff and you can never do enough bad stuff that God doesn't want a relationship with you. You just have to simply say, believe, realize why he came and that he's done all of the work. Jesus is saying, I love you. I'm for you. I came so that the lost could be found. You may be sitting here this morning and, and I don't know where you are. Maybe you are on the path of self-destruction. Or maybe you're on the path of self-righteousness. But if you're on those, that path, those two paths, you're equally lost. But there's good news. The good news of Jesus is that he came for all. What Jesus is saying in this third parable is he's saying, listen, I am the good father. This father who was looking for his son, that's who I am. This father who wanted to enter back into relationship with this son, he's saying, that's who I am. He finishes by saying, just to drive home the point. He says, the healthy don't need a doctor. When Jesus finishes telling this parable, I can only imagine must have been going through their mind. He did all of this. Probably some of them got it and probably some of them still didn't. You may be sitting here this morning and you may be thinking, I get it. You may be thinking, I don't understand it. You don't have to understand it. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. The only thing you have to you to bow your head and if you're here this morning you say Pastor I'm I'm not in relationship with him I'm in a point in my life that I may or may not understand that I have value 
But regardless of that, I still feel as if I have no purpose. I want to reassure you that you have value. So if you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, that's me. I feel like I have no value. I feel so lost. I feel like the sheep. I feel like the coin. I feel like the son who left. You just slip up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. God loves you. God values you. Don't ever let the world or anyone else tell you anything different. He came for you.
That's when heaven's loudest celebration is deserved. Now, you may be here this morning and say, Pastor, I'm doing everything I can, and I feel like that I have a relationship with him, but I... Tell us all these things and tell us, you know, what we need to do and all the commandments. And, and Jesus said, he said, if you truly knew my heart, I'm going to tell you two things. He said, love me, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You want to know God's heart? That's what it is. And I can tell you that the closer that you get to Him, the more time you spend with Him, the more you're going to understand the heart of the Father. Because there's times that I'm not as close to God as I need to be. And somebody's doing something to get on my nerves. And in my mind, sometimes my prayer is, God, save them and then kill them. when I start to draw close to him and that relationship starts to, to become stronger and we become closer, I begin to understand his heart. And I begin to understand that God loves that person as much as he loves me. And that that person means as much to him as I do. And then my heart becomes filled with compassion. Why? Because I want to be about the work of my father. I want to be the one, just as him, just as these three stories that he told. I want to be the one that's frantically looking for someone who's lost. And it is so easy to be over here on the religious right. It is so easy to be so consumed with ourselves. Oh, how he loves me. 
need to forget that it's not just me. That he loves broken, hurting people who are lost. Don't you may have his heart. I'll be So I'm going to pray that God will put in us the desire Father, I come before you today. God, I'm so thankful for everyone that is gathered here, everyone who's watching online. God, I'm so thankful that you love us. God, I know that it's not just me that you love, but you came for a relationship with everyone. God, I pray that I'll never become so consumed with myself. God, that I neglect my relationship with you. God, I pray for everyone who is here today. God, that we will have a determination like we've never had before to know your heart. God, to want to please you. Father, I pray that we continue to seek after you. God, that you Seal this word in our hearts. God, that when we think about Luke chapter 15, we think about the, the parables that Jesus told, that we'll remember one thing. Thank you for being here today. Uh, if you are a guest, um, my beautiful wife is standing at the back. She has a card that she'd like to give you, just give you some instruction of how you can let us know that you were here. We pray that you have a great week. Be sure and be back next week. We're going to talk about turning the page.
And uh, God wants us to turn the page in our lives. Have a great Sunday.